Welcome to the Insight Podcast. My guest today is Adam Smith. Adam is an alcohol-free coach for high performance. His mission is to help entrepreneurs and professionals gain clarity, transform their health, and perform better through coaching and community. During this conversation, Adam speaks openly about his experiences with mental health, depression, and alcohol. He also talks about suicidal thoughts and his plan to end his own life. Please be aware that all of these themes are spoken about throughout the episode. I talked to Adam about the low point of Adam's life when working in hospitality, going through a breakup and family tragedy. Adam's recipe for anxiety and depression. How he came out the other side, the habits and the inspiration he took from others. His journey to quitting alcohol three and a half years ago how to navigate parties, work events, holidays without a drink, and how to handle questions and comments from friends and family, and much more. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So talk to me about your state of mind, your relationships, um, the place you were around six years ago. Mm, yeah, six years ago is the, what I like to refer to as the, the rock bottom phase of the story so far. Um, there's been many ups and downs along the way, but yeah, six years ago was uh, horrendous. I was working hospitality um working probably 60 70 hour weeks maybe more managing a large team and everything just became too much it was a very stressful venue i was neglecting every area of my health i was what i like to refer to as doing depressed and um, i don't downplay people's episodes of depression at all and some people are born with um, levels of that, levels of anxiety disorder and what have you. But um, in my case, I think I was more doing depression with my habits. So I was drinking to excess, smoking, doing drugs, eating junk food every day, not sleeping, um, not really showing up for my partner at the time. When I was with my family, I wasn't really present. I was in the physical, but not in the mental, hungover, tired, drained. And then it got to Christmas week and typically in city centre venues, the trade pattern um, actually dips off. It's more towns that become busier. So um, the venue would quieten down a little bit on like Christmas week, which was good. But I knew that something wasn't right. So I spoke to my area manager at the time, got signed off um, for a few days. I felt guilty. So I rushed back because when you working as hard as we're all working all the other managers are doing the same hours by the way it's um it's frustrating and you're like well i can't just sit at home and do nothing so i need to go out and go back to work so i rushed back and then my partner and i at the time again really it was six months of misery to be honest i've said before in previous podcasts that oh it came out of nowhere and it's not true when i've reflected on it the, the relationship wasn't working mm-hmm. the way it was done however that was a surprise that was a bit of a shock so we had like a bit of a week apart at the start of the new year. Um, it was the worst Christmas I've ever had. I was just so down. Didn't want to go out and see friends. Didn't want to do anything. I'd ballooned in weight. My confidence was on the floor. And then she um, 
yeah, she just came back and was just like, it's over. I uh, can't be with you anymore. Four-year relationship, just gone in an instant. And I remember in that moment, it felt like someone had stabbed me. It was like a um, complete shock. My body went into shock. Uh, I ended up like falling to the floor and not being able to catch my breath, probably an anxiety attack or panic attack or whatever. And it was horrendous. And I didn't know what was going on with my body, but it was, uh, yeah, pretty awful. And then I lost three family members in the space of three weeks. So I'm now signed off work with depression. My partner just left me and I've lost three family members for various reasons. One was a longstanding disease and the other two were just out of out of the blue. So I ended up going back to work because I didn't know what else to do. Way too soon, probably three weeks, four weeks off max. But in that time, I went to the doctor. He said, oh, how's your sleep? I said, terrible. Okay, what's your eating habits like? Do you have any zest for life? Are you this, or you that? It's like, um, I don't have anything. He's like, oh, you've got depression. I was like, oh, no. So I was carried around like a dead weight. And I thought, I'm depressed. So I started acting depressed even more so. Slow breathing, frustrated. And it's not downplaying what I went through because it was pretty awful. But um, yeah, I just thought, this is it now. I'm just depressed. So do you want tablets? I was like, no, I don't want tablets. What's that going to do? Um, he didn't ask me any questions about anything holistic whatsoever and how I could change it and how I could improve my situation it was just an, in fairness that's probably not his job either but just throw pills at the problem out and then the next one comes in so that's the issue anyway so I went back to work um it became very apparent that they didn't want me there anymore they ended up forcing me out so um I left so now I'm jobless single three family members down I won't say alcoholic but I was certainly um using it as a crutch at the time Were you drinking every day was it that situation it, it, it yeah it was more drinking to forget uh, drinking to numb drinking to you know air quote de-stress mm-hmm. <laughs> the irony um the, the stress that alcohol causes on the body is obviously way worse but it's the placebo effect which we can get into and um yeah it just became an absolute nightmare and then i, st- I went to therapy started feel a little bit better ended up getting my dream job in a different venue i was like right things are going to turn around now great and then the venue i was running at the time the highs were high, but the lows were low. It's a very much a, you drink with your guests when they come in and four or five o'clock in the morning, you finish in and then you go out partying, one night stands, drugs, whatever. And some people go, oh, sounds great. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, that is a pathway to absolute misery and delusion. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going through at the time. And then fast forward a few more months and I just got a random phone call from a friend saying that his dad died in his sleep. Um, this guy was like a second dad to me. So it was just horrific. And that was the one that really hit home because the others were older and, again, to some extent, a little bit expected. This one was completely out of the blue, uh, 50-year-old, fit as, a, fit as a flea, lovely guy, just died in his sleep. Like, what the fuck? I remember being at his funeral and just, uh, you know, almost looking around for him, like, why isn't he here? It was just completely um, confusing for me at the time and then at the wake because I was drinking so much. I could drink a bottle of whiskey without even batting an eyelid and still working. And I don't say that to impress anybody. I'm horrified by that fact now. But at the wake, I drank 10 pints and I was like, right, fuck this. I'm just going to end my life now. So I can't see the point of living anymore. Look at all the pain that's around me. So I got in the car, went down the road to say bye to mum and dad because the wake was like five minutes away from where they lived. They knew I was in pain, but they didn't know how bad it was. They didn't know I was crying myself to sleep most nights. And, um, being as frustrated as I was so I didn't want to hurt anybody else I didn't want to you know um, 
do anything like uh, I don't want to get too graphic here, but I don't want to like hang myself or anything like that. I was just like, right, I'm just going to crash the car. That's what I want to do. So, um, and no one knew I was intoxicated because I was drinking so much at the time. 10 pints was like nothing. So it was fine. Still fully functioning. And um, yeah, I got in the car, hit the accelerator. Every intention of crashing the car, I got a few hundred feet away. And then I got a phone call that popped up on the screen, just said, mum is calling. I was like, oh, it like snapped me out of it straight away. And um, I answered it. I was like, hello. And she's like, Adam. I was like, yeah. She goes, you left your wallet here. Do you want me to drop it off at your house for you? I was like, oh, shit. And it was just, something just clicked straight away in my mind. I slammed the brakes on. The car was just swaying everywhere, spinning out of control. Luckily, I didn't hurt anyone and I wasn't hurt either. And I was pulled into a lay-by and just sobbed for hours. It was like someone had poured a bucket of water over my head. I don't know what it was. I'm not religious uh, whatsoever, but I just thought in that moment something happened and it just said, when it said mum is calling, that was like, oh shit. And then when I heard a voice, it's like, what am I doing? But then the the next part of the suffering happened because I felt guilty mm-hmm. and I felt shame. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? You know, I've got family that love me. I've got mum, dad, brother, um, sister-in-law. I've got friends. I've got this, I've got that. And I knew in that moment that something had to change and I was broken and I needed fixing. So I thought, right, if I don't change now, then I never will. And I say this all the time. It's a bit cliche and a little bit uh, wishy-washy for some people, but rock bottom is a great foundation on which to build because it doesn't get any worse. It couldn't get any worse for me in that moment. And I started just bringing in all this gratitude and I thought, right, something has to shift now. And then, um, yeah, it was a, a pretty big moment for me, but one that one that was necessary as well. Oh, wow, man. I appreciate you sharing your story. I know, I mean, I know you do that often and openly, but um, still every time to, to replay it must be, must be so difficult. So I appreciate that. And um, yeah, just, just so many thoughts. Um, so if your mum hadn't called at that precise moment, you know, we might, we might not be talking right now. Mm. Which, is an, Correct. which is a scary yeah. thought. And so mm. before we get into the kind of the, the coming out the other side of it, like what I'm interested to know, like what the state of your mind, like day to day, minute to minute, is it kind of, you know, were you having like a lot of negative self-talk? Were you, um, you know, what were your relationships like with, with colleagues and with family and things like that? And like, we don't have to spend too long on this, but I'm just, just wondering, and also I'm wondering how much you attribute to the, is it, was it the late nights? Was it the alcohol? Was it the fast food? Was it a combination? Or do you think something played more of a role than something else? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, low self-worth from a young age, um, seeking validation to try to rectify that low self-worth. The low self-worth was very much there from, um, undiagnosed ADHD and dyspraxia right. that wasn't um, brought to the front of my mind until I was probably about 15. So I went through school struggling a lot and, you know, intelligence levels were always questioned, even though, you know, I'd like to think of myself as quite intelligent and articulate and I couldn't stand people and um, everything like that. My reading average and mathematical average and everything else was way above the... Um, the norm but I just couldn't concentrate I couldn't focus I didn't understand why I felt every emotion so strongly I couldn't understand why um 
you know, I take everything so personally and what have you, but that's what I've come to learn what ADHD can be. Sometimes people think ADHD is just um, all they can't concentrate and they, they get um, distracted by puppies and squirrels, you know, <laughs> and there's elements of that, of course, but um, it, it's way more complex than that. So that was a huge part of it. So everything went back to the low self-worth and almost this incantation of not deserving happiness. Mm. So every time something would happen, I would look at it as happening to me, not happening for me. Whereas now I've switched the mindset and realized that everything as even when it's horrific is an opportunity and this isn't false positivity, but it's also not unnecessary negativity. And there's a big difference. So yeah, the, the drinking was a mask. I've hated drinking alcohol from the first time I tried it. I've only done it because other people were doing it. Uh, the late nights, uh, my skin quality was terrible. My sleep was terrible. I was overweight, miserable, low self-worth, no confidence, you name it. And it was because of the things that I was doing day to day. It was like an ingredient of how to feel like mm. shit. I had the recipe, yes. <laughs> you know, it was the, the best recipe in town. If anyone ever wants it, it's great. You just uh, sleep for like five hours a day. You, you drink two or three bottles of whiskey and 10 beers and you do drugs and you smoke and you eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah. If you want to feel like crap, I've got the full playbook for yeah. you. So um, yeah, I think that there was a, a lot of the, the things that I did experience were difficult. Of course, the breakup in itself was traumatic. The, that losing three people then soon to be four people was difficult but that's like doing you know 200 lengths in the pool is difficult doing it with a 50 kilo backpack on um, makes it damn near impossible so for me wanting to feel better but not doing any of the habits that align with that was always going to be a pathway to misery yeah. and that's exactly what I got so but yeah most of it stems from that early age of seeking approval, seeking validation due to never feeling good enough and doing it in a way that would be a character that I would create that people would like. But ironically, I ended up making loads of enemies in the meantime because I was being something that I wasn't. And then the suffering would happen at home because when you get put all these masks on all the time, you don't even know what you believe anymore. I'd be the guy that would take the piss out of... um like children in need, I'd make an inappropriate joke. But when I watch it at home on my own, I'm crying and I'm donating. So it, it's all this facade, outward facing to get other people to try and like me because I didn't like myself. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much comes up there that like we could unpack. There's almost, I don't know how long have we got, but a few things. I mean, you're talking about like having the recipe for anxiety. And I feel like a lot of people are, you know, they're, they, they're living that recipe for anxiety, for depression, for low energy, for low mood, not to the extent that you were, um, but mm. just on the kind of a, like a, a lower level, you know, waking up, checking your phone straight away, having some crappy breakfast, like just sweet sugary cereal, spending all day indoors, driving to, to work and then working and then driving back and then sitting in front of the TV, not moving the body, not getting any sunlight, all, all this stuff, like how much of a factor is is that for why people are not feeling great at the moment? And, you know, mm. yeah, maybe it's not, 
I don't know, just maybe it's not something that we were inherently born with or something. Maybe it's these circumstances that are contributing and people just don't realise the the kind of environment that we've put ourselves in now. And it's only when you start listening to the podcasts and, you know, all, all these different things that people can kind of take the mickey out of you for doing. But it's only when you do that and you kind of wake up and you go, oh, I need to add some more of these habits. And yeah, I am going to go out and get my morning sunlight. And yeah, I'm going to finish drinking my last cup of coffee at 12 or something like that. So I sleep better and I don't know, try and get a bit more exercise, these little things, because it's like we've got to fight against our current situation, haven't we? We've got to make a conscious effort to do something about it because our current environment will just drag us down and we'll be relentless and we'll end up in this, you know, anxious, low mood mess. Mm, Correct. And that's it. And unfortunately, what you've just described there is about 60 or 70 percent of the uk at least and then people just say the weather the government and the traffic you know um so again this isn't downplaying anybody's experience but if people listening to a podcast are probably in the right frame of mind to understand where i'm coming from here and i'm not attacking people in horrible situations but most of the time it is self-inflicted and some people will look at me and go easy for you um you know, white man in his thirties. Cause you know, oh, it's such a boring argument anymore. though, isn't it? Like, Oh, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're only one level of privilege away from me. A lot of the time when it's the female saying it to me or uh, whoever might be saying it to yeah. me, you know, if, if you're, if you're listening to this on a, um, you know, on an iPhone with your headphones, that probably cost 200 quid. You're in the top 1% of wealth mm. in the UK. So spare me the, the pity party as it were i used to start the pity party and no one would come it'd just be me you know the 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 um the decks are broken the lights are flickering the food's cold um no one wants to be at the pity party so i'm not downplaying people's experiences and there is some truly awful shit that happens in the world and i see it but it's about perspective and the problem is that people compare and they do it two ways so they'll compare by saying oh, look at Dwayne Johnson, he's got everything, I've got nothing. And then they'll also compare by going, I shouldn't be complaining about anything because the starving kids in Africa. Now, while Dwayne Johnson does have everything in a sense, and while there are still uh, dying children in Africa, that isn't going to change your circumstance either way. So having the secondhand guilt for not doing something and complaining and saying, oh, you know, um, I can't ever look like Dwayne Johnson and doing it in the same way and putting all the guilt and judgment on yourself and saying, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. You're suffering in both ways. So it's not helpful. It's not a helpful strategy to be the self-appointed victim. You are allowed to feel, uh, but a lot of the time we don't actually feel our emotions. We tend to do our emotions. So I'm qualified in neuro-linguistic programming. I have to look at the, the words that people use and even something as basic as the word feel. You don't feel right? To touch your emotions, you do them. So, and you have a strategy or a recipe that I referred to earlier. So it might be, you've got a strategy for getting angry and I can guarantee you it's not the same strategy as when you feel relaxed. So if you can think of a time when you were super relaxed, were you tensing your fists and shouting and yelling? No, you were probably laying on a sun lounger, um, on holiday with your family. When you think of a time when you were laughing, was it the same as when you were being sad? No. So they are just a set of recipes and strategies, but you need to understand what they are. So people will say things to me like, I don't know what it is, Adam. I'm just, I'm just really down all the time. 
You're like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, you're slumped in your chair. You're rubbing your face. You're breathing really slowly. You're speaking like this and everything's so difficult. And right. So again, this isn't a dance around the garden and, you know, say there's no weeds, there's no weeds. That's, that's false positivity. When you are going through a difficult moment, just ask yourself a simple question. What is a more helpful thought? Because no matter how dire the situation is, and I was at a funeral last week where my best friend had to bury his mum and he was talking in a positive way. So if we can do it in the land of extremes of losing parents, we can do it over that boss that might speak to you in a way that you don't desire. So, um, and he was saying all this kind of stuff too, but because he took that sort of phrase from me and I took it from my coach, what's a more helpful thought? And he said this in his speech, you know, it's like, well, what's a more helpful thought to losing my mum? Well, She's out of pain right now. It's brought me closer towards my dad. It's brought everyone in this room together to celebrate her life. So yes, the loss is horrific, but how can you frame it ever so slightly in a more positive way, in a more helpful way? So if it's, I'm so fat, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm never going to have any friends. That's probably not true. So what's a more helpful thought? (sighs) Yeah, okay, I might be overweight, but I can change this. I can go to the gym, I can start eating healthily and I can get outside more and um, it's going to be more than okay. So I do fully believe that we do our emotions, not feel them. And once you can identify what you're doing with your physical body, again, this isn't some pseudoscience BS, this is basic physiology, (laughs) Um, basic science that if you're slumped on your sofa, rubbing your face, scrolling on TikTok, wondering why you're miserable, comparing yourself to supermodels, If you stand up, get outside and walk for 30 minutes and put your big coat on if it's cold and then put a positive podcast on or maybe ring your friend, you tell me how you're going to feel afterwards. I can guarantee it's going to be 10 times better than all the time. So yeah, it's, it's a shame and people will complain about the time that they don't have. And, you know, some people complain about the results that they didn't get for the work that they didn't do. So it's a quote that's um, up in my gym where I do my boot camps. That's the one of the quotes. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. So, you know, instead it's just deal with the reality of your situation. You know, if you are that overweight and you're walking upstairs and you're out of breath, for example, that's your reality right now. And that's okay because you can change it. It's actually quite empowering. I think when I was at my level of rock bottom, I thought this can only get better. Not how can I make it worse? I think that's the difference. Um, and again, it's not easy for me. It's just a different way of looking at it. Yeah. I think the biggest realisation that I've had in the last five years that has just like, changed my life in some respects, in every respect maybe, is I don't have to believe every thought that comes into my head. Like I just <laughs> don't. And I can sit with a thought and know that it's going to pass. Like, I can have a low evening where I'm not feeling great and I'm maybe feeling a bit isolated, a bit lonely, worrying about the future. But I've got, got to that stage where I like catch that thought and I think like, Sam, you're going through something at the moment. It might last five minutes. It might last an hour. It might last until you wake up tomorrow morning. But I know it's going to pass. And when you get to that stage, a weight is lifted. And then the other thing that you said about choosing your thoughts, that's the other thing like, we're responsible for it, aren't we? We are responsible for choosing mm-hmm. the thoughts. And as soon as we get that awareness that 
that we don't have to trust the thought that comes into our head and we can choose a more useful, practical, empowering thought. Things change, man. Just things, Mm. everything becomes clearer. Everything becomes lighter. Everything becomes more positive. And that's not to say, of course, that everything is wonderful now and like I'm never going to feel Mm. miserable again and all that. No, it's just... It's just a way to approach life, and I think in a more, more pro- proactive and, like I said, empowering way. Mm, for sure, there's um, a book called "Loving What Is" by uh, Byron Katie. Okay. So um, I'm just going to. Uh, there's a four step process that she talks about. Um, so it, it's like a four question um, basis essentially. So uh, I'm just trying to get up now. Where is it? Um, so is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How do you react? What happens to your body when you believe that thought and who would you be without that thought? So I'm a loser. I'm stupid. Uh, I'm never going to find love. Is that true? Now in your mind, when you're really low on yourself, you might still say yes. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Um, can you categorically, with 100% certainty, tell me that that's true? Well, we'll know. Okay. So what's happening in your body when you think this thought? I'm judging myself. I'm calling myself a piece of shit. Um, I'm picking out every flaw. Okay. Who would you be without that thought? Um, oh, uh, I guess more positive. Yeah. Um, probably a bit more confident. Yeah a bit more empowered. Yeah. And you just keep going. So yeah, you're right. You can't control the thoughts. You get about 2000 thoughts an hour, but you get to choose uh, the labels, what it means. Um, And again, we're so harshly critical of ourselves, but the only reason why you feel guilt and shame is because you're judging yourself. If you lose the judgment, you lose the shame and the guilt. So, and then people say, well, how'd you lose judgment? Well, you can journal, you can write down how you're feeling, you can speak to a therapist or a coach about it. Do it in an environment where it's judgment-free, which is very difficult to find, I'll I'll give you that. Because most of our friends and our families want to fix us and they want to rescue us and they want to tell tell us how amazing and beautiful and great we are. That's not always helpful. So that's why we developed the emotional intelligence of a seven-year-old because that's never, ever been different. Because mummy might always say, no, don't be silly, darling. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're incredible. That invalidates your feeling. So mum's actually said you're wrong. And when you've got a low opinion of yourself, you go further into the mire of low self-worth because I can't even know um, how I feel anymore because mum's going to tell me how I feel. Instead, it could be ugly. Mirror the language. What makes you think that? Curiosity. Why do you think that is accusatory? And it's, it's what people do with children. Like, why do you think you're ugly? Or so how have you come to that conclusion? Or what makes you think that? But we so want to see the person free from pain. It's coming from a positive yeah. place, but the delivery of it is terrible. So <laughs> holding that space for someone judgment-free is a gift in itself. That's just a bit of a uh, side ramble there, but... Um, Hopefully someone might find that useful. No, for sure. Valid. And and the framework that you presented as well, just just really useful. One thing I want to ask you before we move on as well to the kind of the out the other side is 
something that you mentioned about being at school and some of the struggles and um, the diagnosis or the, or the not get or a later diagnosis. And I'm just wondering what what do you wish that you'd have your your teachers had have done differently? Do you wish they'd have said something to you? I don't, I don't know, Jurishan. Just what could have been different for your experiences at school? I'm a primary school teacher. Lots of my friends and family okay. are teachers. Um, yeah, I'm curious to know. I would honestly say nothing um, because of how it shaped me. Mm. So it has made me stronger. Um, with that being said, t- you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Anything is only good or bad in hindsight. So when people say to me, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Well, well you did. So we have to deal with the reality of it now. So, um, But when it's children that, you know, again, little boys that are loud and distracting, people just go, ah, ADHD. And you're like, well, no, it might be the kid in the corner that's like sat there rubbing his face and looking disinterested because he can't keep up with the black or white board or however things are done now. You know, obviously I was at school a long time ago, well, 30 years ago now when I was five. But um, yeah, so it's asking more helpful questions. Um, And again, what and how are much more helpful than why. So um, if someone said to me, um, how can I help you more with this, Adam? I probably would have given them an answer. Why aren't you listening, Adam? Because I don't want to listen. This is stupid. It's not stupid. If you don't like it, get out. That was it. That was like the the go-to for most teachers. Understandably, of course, by the way, because you've got 30 kids to police (laughs) and uh, you want the session to not be interrupted by one individual. So you piss off the one to help the many. I I completely get that. And I don't hold anything against my teachers now, by the way. I used to, uh, but I've done the work on myself to understand it wasn't about them. Um, So in some cases it was, but they were probably in pain uh, in another area of their life. I was called retard, sheep shit for brains by teachers, oh, wow. by the way. Um, idiot, stupid, never going to amount to anything. Um, and I use this as fuel for a lot um, of my business in the in the early years. Mm. And then I got to a point, I was like, right, I'm going to earn double your salary. And then I was like, I'm going to earn your salary in a month. And then all this ego states that I'd taken over and just became a complete dick about it and realizing that's not actually healthy or helpful because number one, some of them might actually be dead now. Um, so you're using all your fuel to prove a point to someone that's no longer here. So how's that serving you? Not very well. So to go back to the question, mate, I think it's um, holding the, the space without judgment, without trying to fix, asking more questions, actually giving a shit about the answer as well, uh, as difficult as it might be, again, across you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 students, whatever it might be. Um, signposting. Because a lot of people still don't know what dyspraxia is. So my problem, for those that don't know, dyspraxia is like fine motor skills, concentration levels, uh, general like um, balance in um, extreme circumstances. So I've got like a mild form of dyspraxia. Severe dyspraxics can also almost be classed as disabled in some cases. So with me, it was that my writing wasn't very good. And then I'd lose my place on the blackboard. So I'd look down, I'd be writing so quick, I'd look back up, I'd lose my place for a few seconds. Oh, right. And then I'd do it again because I'd be writing so quick to keep up with the blackboard, but now I can't read my writing. Yeah. And then I look up at the blackboard again and the words aren't there anymore. So then I'd go, what's the point? Leave it. And then I'd sulk. And then I'd put my head down 
And then they'd go, Adam, why are you doing your work? I am doing my work. And like, no, you're not. And then it would just clash in like this. So it's, um, have you heard of the model transactional analysis before? No. So you've got a parent, adult, child. So where possible, we want to operate from adult, even when we are speaking to children. So it's a very difficult state to remain in. But parent is, why aren't you doing that? Judgmental. Because I don't want to, vulnerable child. It's not helpful because then we're just constantly uh, battling here. But couples do this now. Why do you always leave your socks on the floor? I don't always leave my socks on the floor, <laughs> right? Um, or then they reverse the roles. Well, you never empty the dishwasher. Yeah, I do. I always empty the dishwasher. And then you're just clashing and it's just like child versus parent attack. Adult. So if they go from judgmental parent, you always leave your socks on the floor, remain in adult state. Um, actually, that's not correct. It's not always. Well, why don't you just do it? Listen, we don't need to shout at each other. You can say to me calmly that I'd really appreciate it if you could put the socks in the basket next time. Oh God, you don't get it. And then they might come back and apologize. But when we're speaking to children, I do this with uh, my four-year-old nephew, my six-year-old nephew, my three-year-old niece. Uh, I'll just ask them quietly, like, what are you doing that for? If they're like throwing the food on the floor or being loud or a bit obnoxious or whatever, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, duh, 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 duh. listen, we can go play in 20 minutes. What we need to do is eat lunch first. Once we've done that, then we can go play. Now, I want to caveat this. This is very easy for me to say, I don't have children. So it's all right. I use that. Putting the cape well. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't deal with the the late nights and the kids screaming and the, the challenges they must face. So I'm not suggesting this is easy at all. It's really not. It is a skill. Um, I don't perfect it myself every time far from it but <laughs> as a framework if you can apply it where possible it's better than shouting the house down wagging your finger yelling because they will just remain in that relationship of um child and parent as opposed to adult to adult even if they are only five or six yeah, yeah. right so going back to that um that car journey and then seeing your mum call and it popped up and then that was the kind of the catalyst, you know, to, to change. You, you talked about for mm. feeling more grateful for what you had and, and knowing that you needed to make changes. So what what happened there? Like, uh, apart, like was it just a, an overnight wake-up call? Um, but then how did you kind of move through the, the following month, six months, a year? Like, what changed? Mm. What did you do? And what did you notice around you? Um did you stop doing anything? Did you start doing anything? And, and what, what was going on there? Yeah, the first few days were just ridden with guilt and shame. So, you know, the TV remote would be six inches away from you and it'd feel like effort to pick it up. That's how bad it got. So just having, for, for those that have never had um, depressive states or this such a lack of self-worth, it was you understand and you know that going outside for a walk is good for you, but you don't care. What's the point? I don't want to feel better, so I'm just going to stay in this. Each day just got a little bit easier and a little bit more tolerable. So even if you are in this state and you're listening to this podcast now, it can and it will get better. It's not going to stay forever, as you touched on earlier, mate. It, this too shall pass. And mm -hmm. I, 
I just used to almost encant that. I've been studying self-development since I was about 18 years old. I'm 35 now. So when I used to, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, when you're at home playing on FIFA or doing whatever, I'd have Tony Robbins on in the background. I've had Eric Thomas, um, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Les Brown, all playing in the background. So when people were listening to Arctic Monkey albums or whatever it might be, I was just consuming this. I was obsessed by it. I always have been because it came from the young age. When I was trying to keep up with the blackboard and it wasn't happening, I'd then start scanning the room. I'd look at how a child behaved and how the teacher reacted to the child and then how the child reacted to the teacher. And I was just fascinated by that. So not in a creepy way, but I've always watched people. <laughs> so, um, But like obsessively, like, why did he do that or whatever? And then that translated into my career in hospitality. That was my role as a general manager of a venue, making sure everyone's safe and everyone's having a good time. If people are shivering in a corner, I need to put the heating up. If people are doing this and they can't talk because whatever, they can't hear each other, the music's too loud. So I always have to look for patterns of human behavior. So I knew what to do. I knew how to turn it around. It was a belief system thing again of, do I deserve this? Do I deserve to change? So I had all the skill sets because I used to be a personal trainer as well. So I knew how to eat healthily. I knew that drinking water, I knew you know, how to get in good shape and whatever. So I was like, right, I just need to put my fucking trainers on. That's it. I just need to put my trainers on. I just need to get outside and I need to go through the gym door, pick up one weight and put it down again and I've got back in the gym. A lot of the work I do with uh, my clients is doing the healing the inner child work. And um, I always say to them, write a letter to your younger self or write a letter to your parents. You don't need to give it to them. It's a cleansing process. But once you write down the word dear, it's began. And if it takes you five years to write it, it doesn't matter. People put so much pressure on themselves that they have to be able to run this 5K in 30 minutes or, you know, um, 10k in under an hour or whatever it's it's bollocks just just get outside just get your fucking trainers on and just go for a walk i thought well if i can do that then i may as well start eating a little bit healthier and then if i'm eating healthy i'm going to start drinking more water and then now i've got a bit more energy i could probably do a better workout than what i just did and well if i'm doing all that then um, i'm probably going to be sleeping better so therefore i'll have even more energy and if I could start doing that, then I'm, I'll start watching the Tony videos again and the Jim Rohn podcasts or whatever it was, you know, and start doing that. And then everything just started to compound mm. and not to sound like the bro science and whatever, but we're always one decision away from changing your life drastically. If you think about anything that you've ever done in your life, if you didn't go on that night out, you might not have met your wife. If you um, didn't buy that book, you might not have changed your business around, whatever. We all have these compounded decisions that have ended either good or bad, but you could decide today, right now, if you're feeling like shit, you could decide right now, I'm going to go on Amazon, I'm going to buy some gym trainers, I'm going to walk to the nearest pure gym, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to get a demo from a coach, I'm going to do a calculator on how much water I need to consume, I need to start eating healthy. That's what I started with. And I just started building it slowly each day and it just got better and better. Um, And then the main change for me happened at lockdown. I was, again, I was just in a bit of a mess, nowhere near what I was before, but 
it was just so inconsistent and I'd left the other job. I'd got a new one, but that finished even later. So I'm now getting in at six or seven o'clock in the morning. I'm getting in from work when my partner's getting up for work. I'm like, oh God, this is a nightmare. <laughs> um, so when lockdown hit, I was like, right, this is time to pause. I'm 32 years of age and I'm getting home from work at seven o'clock in the morning. Something has to change here. So um, because when it was involving drink and what have you. So I was like, right. Let's reset. We, we moved in with my uh, partner's parents, living in a nice uh, big house. They've got a gym. They've got this. They've got that. They've got the other. So not bad. Not like, right. bad. Um, <laughs> it's great. I was very, very lucky. Don't get me wrong. So this isn't saying that lockdown was great for everybody. I know it was awful for a lot of people, but I'd had my shit. So this was my good bit now. <laughs> um, so it's time to refresh a little bit. So two dogs taking them out for a walk first thing. Great. Everyone in the house is a high achiever. Uh, they're getting up at six. I may as well start getting up at six. They cook healthy meals, even though they're in the 60s. They're both fit as a fiddle and they go to the gym and whatever. So I was like, I'll eat what they eat. Great. Um, and it just started to change my mindset. I was surrounded by wealthy people and I saw what they were doing. And I was like, I need to match and mirror this. So if they're in great shape at 60, here I am at 32 moaning. So long story short, I left hospitality. I signed up for a course with Tony Robbins, got qualified as a, like a life coach, but life coaching qualifications aren't really worth the paper they're printed on, to be honest with you. Anyone can call themselves a life coach. So I then became qualified in NLP, which was actually certified. Um, and I became qualified as a timeline therapist as well. So that to me was my biggest achievement. The thing that I'm probably proudest of in my life because studying was always so difficult for me, mm. especially given the dyspraxia and ADHD. So to be able to qualify in neuro-linguistic programming, I know it sounds very fancy and, and it is in the title, but it's quite basic in its format of just making people um, happier and not feel like shit anymore. That's my whole shtick. <laughs> so um, I was like, right, I'm going to take a break from the booze. So I was like, I'll do like a 30 day break, you know, and I, I don't really enjoy alcohol anyway. I'm not going out to get drunk anymore. I'm not doing the late night. So I'll just, just take a bit of a break. And I was like, oh, I've done 30 days. May as well do 60. Oh, hang on a minute. My skin looks so much better. That coupled with the gym, coupled with everything else from April to November, I think I lost about 20 kilos. It's like, what the fuck? I looked so different. And when I was seeing friends and family again, and when lockdown started to loosen a little bit, people were like, oh my God, what has happened? I was like, why didn't you tell me I looked like shit before? <laughs> so <where's the> way? <laughs> I was such, yeah, I was such a mess. I was like, my God. Um, and then I just kept changing and kept doing it more. So then it got to Christmas and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to drink at Christmas. You can't not drink at Christmas, Bailey's and all this. No, it got to Christmas day and I was like, what's the point? Like, I don't want to. Like, I, I don't see the the need anymore. So I was like, if I can get through Christmas Day without drinking, what's possible? Then it went to my next birthday in April. I was like, definitely going to drink on my birthday. No, I didn't. And then I got this thing in my mind where I was like, this is an hour challenge. I want to get to a year. Then I did two years. And then fast forward to today, I'm three and a half years without alcohol. And it's the single best decision I ever made in my life. Wow. So a few things that like you, you speak to there, the, the power of just taking that first step, isn't it? Like you just need to take the first step. We think that we need to look the part and everything before that we can before we can get started, but that's not the case. We've just got to get started and then eventually you'll look the part and then that 
compounding mm. interest of like that one habit stacks onto the other, stacks onto the other. I've been to the gym, so I feel like eating more healthily. I've eaten more healthily, so I feel a bit better. Now I'm sleeping a bit better. So I wake up in the morning and I feel like I can exercise more and it just keeps going, doesn't it? And then what you spoke about with your partner's 100%. family, I think is incredibly powerful as well to, to have the role models, to have the people that you look up to and to the community. Like that's the missing piece for so many people. They're like, I want to get mm -hmm. fit. I want to eat better. I want to drink less. But all my friends are still in that stage. Like you, you said, like no, no judgment or anything, but they're still drinking. They're still mm. staying up late. They're still not eating the best. They don't exercise. And so you just kind of go along with the crowd. So then I think it's time mm. to, you just need to get some new friends, don't you? You need to, you need to, you know, you need to surround yourself with the people that are inspiring and are the people that you want to become. Like you, you look at someone and you say mm. like, I wish I was more like that than you've got to surround yourself with those people and, and it will happen. So I agree, mate. <laughs> you, yeah, sorry. There was, there was, uh, there was something just on that quickly with the friends thing. And this ruined a lot of, uh, former friendships for me actually, but in a really good way. So I'll elaborate. My business partner said, um, if you want to weed out who a good friend is, just do the coffee test. I was like, what's that? He goes, can you meet that person on a Tuesday morning mm. at Cafe Nero at 9am? and just have a coffee and a chat that doesn't involve birds, pikes, and football. Yeah. And they're not grating like, you, like they're not annoying you with like whatever they're coming up with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like, uh, what? I thought about it. I was like, would I ever just meet him for a coffee? I was like, well, he's a great on a night out because he's an idiot. Um, and, you know, I just get pissed with him and he's really good fun. Or, well, no, the only thing I do have in common with him is football. And that's not a bad thing, by the way, but the, the, the premise was, if my partner kicked me out tonight, could I ring them and sleep on the sofa? I.e., could I meet them for a coffee and talk them through that? I was like, fuck, no, I can't. And I just started distancing myself from these people slowly. I wasn't messaging them going, you're a bad person, because they're not. They're not bad people. They're just not aligned. The same way I'm not aligned with what they want to do. They don't want me on a night out talking about CrossFit and meditation when they're drinking Jaeger bombs through their eyeballs, you know. So I'm not going to add anything to them and they're not going to add anything to me because they're not ready to change and I am. So yeah, any, again, anyone listening, the coffee test, just honestly ask yourself. And if you don't know, try it. Hey, mate, do you want to meet for a co coffee? Yeah, in the morning. What do you mean? Like, you want to meet in the morning? Yeah. Is everything all right? Yeah, is everything all right? Like. Yeah, yeah, Just do you want to go for a coffee and a walk around the lake? No. I'm hanging out my ass, mate. Do you want to come around and watch football though, at four? So you'll probably go, shit, that's not a mate, that's a drinking buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The coffee test, I like it. And we don't need that many people that can pass the coffee test, I don't think. Two or three? Four, it's five. Enough. Exactly, exactly. I think I'm very, uh, mm. very privileged that I've got a good group of friends, a brother, brother-in-law that I can meet for a coffee anytime. And I know that I could phone mm. them at any point during the night and, and they'd pick up the phone and be like round in a second if I needed them. And that's mm. a very, uh, feel a very a lucky man in that respect. Mm. So we don't want to labor the point too much about alcohol. We, like we, everyone knows that it's good for us to maybe cut it out, to maybe be mm. cutting out completely or to be drinking less. We're all aware of that. The, the issue is the kind of the expectations around drinking, the environments that we put ourselves in. Like you said, the occasions, Christmas is coming up. 
hopefully this this episode will be released before Christmas. People might be tuning in before Christmas and you know that that expectation is coming up. I feel this a lot. People, you know, friends, family, with the best intentions, they just want to have a good night. They're like, Sam, come on, you're being boring. You're not drinking. Sometimes I'll have a drink, but more often than not nowadays, I'm not having a drink. It just, it just, I feel like it doesn't do me any favors and it's just not worth it. And in fact, last weekend, mm. I, on a Friday, I had a, a work night out, you know, just people getting together at the pub. And then the next day I had like a family gathering, which was a big lunch all together. And then we went to the theater and it was, it was lovely. But normally on mm. both of those occasions, I would have had a drink. And just for some reason, I decided, no, neither one, I'm not even going to have one beer. I had a couple of mm. alcohol-free Guinnesses on the Friday. And on the Saturday, I think I had a couple of alcohol-free lagers. So you're still kind of getting the taste because I enjoy the taste of Guinness. I enjoy the taste of lager and I like Mm -hmm. that social element. But the difference in my focus and energy levels, because even just one or two affects me now. It it does, it it can like, it make me feel sick. It can make me feel like more lethargic the next day. On Saturday morning, I woke up, did boot camp, felt great. On Sunday morning, I did my usual Sunday morning run. Whereas normally, like if I'd had a couple of drinks the day before, I might not have felt as good. And I'm just like, why do I do it to myself? Like it just, Mm. to be honest, recently, and I'm so glad you, um, we connected and and arranged this episode because it's like, it's something I'm more and more thinking about that it might just be time to just give it up completely and see if I can catch up with your three and a half year record. I know I'll I'll be constantly behind, won't I? But I've done like three months without, I think I've even done longer and every time I then have a drink even like I said just one or two it just doesn't feel worth it so where am I going with this we've got we've got events we've got expectations we've got comments from friends and family how do you navigate all of that Mm, just tell them to (laughs) Um, the um the the thing for me is that I guess in the first meeting or two having a bit of compassion and empathy for them because a lot of people that say things like, why aren't you drinking? It's just coming from insecurity because I used to, when I first went out, I'd get quite defensive and I wouldn't get aggressive and be like, fucking got to do with you, mate. But I'd be like, um, people would say, you're so boring. And I'd go, well, who's the boring one? You need a liquid to have a personality. (laughs) Ooh, didn't like that because he came across like a knob, of course. But now it's just a, why are you drinking? I say, why are you drinking? Oof. Well, because it's fun and it's different. And you're like, is it? Is it different? Like, why is it important for you to know why I'm not drinking? Mm. Because when I think of anyone, and I'm sure this is the same for you, that's really got their shit together, do they just walk around pointing the finger going, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? They don't care. It's called self-development, development of oneself. I don't care if you drink vodka till you throw up. It doesn't make any difference to my day. But it's interesting that you're quizzing me so intensely about why I'm not doing something because of how it makes you feel. It's got nothing to do with you. So my coach just says, I'm, <laughs> he's a male, but he just says, I'm pregnant. Um, why are you not drinking? Well, I'm pregnant, you know, just to lighten the mood a little bit but um when people say oh why don't you drink i just don't want to that's a full sentence you don't have to elaborate anymore but what like never no no why because i don't want to <laughs> why well because it's no good for me it used to ruin my life can you not just have one or two where's your you know where's your willpower and they might be three stone overweight huh. 
So I say, look, just because I couldn't figure out how to regulate alcohol doesn't mean I don't have willpower. I'll never say to them, shut up, you're overweight, of course, because I don't need to do that to make myself feel better. But some people can't regulate their emotions. This is why they can't hold the job down because they shout back at their employer. Some people can't regulate their emotions in relationships. That's why they're divorced three times. Some people can't regulate what, how much food they put in the mouth. That's why they're overweight. I couldn't figure out how to regulate the alcohol without feeling like shit. So I stopped it. That's it. And if we're being honest, most people listening don't know how to have just one or two. They either take it too far or they get you know too intoxicated or they get really down or anxious or depressed or stressed or whatever that might be. But yeah, I honestly, even though I teach people and coach people how not to drink and how to develop healthier habits, I honestly don't care if people drink. I talk about my own story and how it benefited me. And if you're looking to do the same, I've got a great playbook for you. The same way I had a playbook for feeling like shit, I've got a really good one for feeling really great. So um, how to navigate essentially in my mind is using crystal clear and effective communication before the event. Because if you're reacting in the moment and your mates are only two or three pints in and you join at the pub, yeah, that's going to be pretty annoying pretty quickly. So um, I would be saying to friends and family, listen, this weekend or on Christmas Day, I'm not going to be drinking alcohol. The reason why is because it's affecting every area of my life right now. I feel overwhelmed. It makes me stressed. It affects my sleep. Um, and I'd really appreciate your support with it. So when I do come round, I'm not getting loads of unnecessary peer pressure. You'd have to be a right dick to go against that. But you you feel like you're the one being a, don't you? Because you're like, oh, yeah. like you, you're expecting them, you're imagining them reading that WhatsApp message and rolling their eyes and going, oh, Adam's message with this with this nonsense again. And like that, that's how mm. I feel. I'm like, do I... Do I want to send these things out and just like, but you, you just, you're expecting the judgment, aren't you? And that makes you kind of like yeah. tense up and get worried. Um, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's vulnerable. It's, it's very vulnerable. Don't get me wrong. It's a very difficult position to be in, unfortunately. And I mean, when we think about it, it's crazy because it's just a liquid in a glass. So my liquid looks the same as yours. It tastes the same as yours, but I'm not going to be swinging my shirt around my head when I've had 10 of them. Um, I'm going to be getting up in the morning and I'm going to be going to the gym still and feeling pretty sharp. So that's the only difference here. When I used to drink to excess, it used to turn me into an absolute knob. So I don't do that anymore. Instead, I do things that serve me in a more helpful way. Mm. It's it's as simple as that. So, um, Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> when, oh, no, it's fine. So that, that's, that's essentially what it comes down to, really, yeah. um, in, in my mind, that to justify the fact that you're not, taking a drug essentially if we did flip it out just quickly for cigarettes yeah. why are you not smoking just have one mate you can at least have a couple of cigarettes or any it just sounds ridiculous yeah, or any other drug that you know how, how many more people does alcohol kill and affect um every year compared to other drugs i don't know the stat off the top of my head but it's mad that we it's yeah i'm sure i've seen posts about this like alcohol is the only drug where people like question why you aren't taking it which is just, just madness yeah, it's, it's it? the only one you have to justify not exactly, taking yeah, yeah 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 and that's the real shame of it so you know i firmly believe um people ask me for an unpopular opinion in 15 20 years maybe less i honestly think drinking is going to be looked at the same way smoking is People are still going to do it, but they might find a slightly healthier alternative, perhaps. 
Um, there's some great alternatives out there now. You know, it's not just Beck's Blue or Diet Coke. You know, there's alcohol-free rums, there's alcohol-free aperitifs, there's alcohol-free cocktails, there's good ones as well. You know, you can have alcohol-free gin and tonic and a nice Copa glass with um, Mediterranean tonic and a grapefruit slice. It tastes exactly the same and it looks the same. Why would you not do that instead is, is my way of thinking now. And it's easy to say that in hindsight, but it's really not easy taking the break. I'm not uh, saying that at all, but the only regret you'll have is that you didn't do it sooner. I've coached over 400 people one-to-one um, -one, and probably about 200 of those um, have been alcohol-free or gone alcohol-free because we've pushed it a lot more in the last year and a half. And not one of them has said, oh, Adam, I wish I didn't bother quitting alcohol. Mm. So not everyone can be wrong is, um, is my argument to it. But yeah, the, the benefits you'll see of taking a 30 or 60 day break are pretty uh, unbelievable, really. I think so too. And I think you're right about what the world will look like in 10, 15, 20 years time. I think we'll just have so many other um, alternatives and there might even be, you know, some healthy alternatives that can still give us a bit of a, a buzz and help us loosen up a little bit and help us feel relaxed because that's what, people are after, aren't they, with the alcohol? They just want to feel a bit more relaxed, be a bit more kind of spontaneous, be able to hold that conversation. I mean, you know, as a man being able to approach a woman, sometimes we just, some of us just need a bit of alcohol in us so that we have a bit of bravery and maybe there'll be some alternatives that will kind of give us that, but we won't have to suffer the consequences the next day. I don't know. Mm. That's it. It's the thing with socialising without it. Socialising is a skill. Just like any other skill, it just takes a bit of work. Yeah. You're not going to get fitter by not going to the gym. You're not going to get better at socializing sober with it if you don't do it. You know, there's books you can read, there's podcasts you can listen to about how to navigate social situations. Um, and there's, we don't lack resources, we lack resourcefulness. There's a big difference. You know, the, the stuff is out there. If you search on YouTube how to attend a party sober, you're going to get like, <laughs> God knows how many videos and articles come up. It'll just happen. So, yeah. you know, it, but it depends on if you want to do that. And if you are curious about doing that, then yeah, we've, we're very good at helping people. There's loads of free resources out there too that don't necessarily involve one-to-one -one coaching, but it just takes time like anything and it can be built over time. You don't have to put so much pressure on yourself to do it. But the, the, the understanding of the habit and habit hacking is the number one thing I'd say to anybody. So let's say you've come home from work, it's jacket off, bag down, walk to the fridge, um, get a beer, open it, go get a glass out the cupboard, glug, 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 pour it. You might sit down, put Netflix on, doo -doo, <laughs> and then you go, ah, and then you lay back and then you have your beer. We need to understand which part of that habit you like the most. Is it going to the fridge to get the beer? Is it the fact that it's in it, pouring it into a glass? Is it the fact you just sat at the sofa watching Netflix with something in your hand? And I know this might sound a little bit odd, but we did this with a girl the other week um, who likes gin and tonic. So the whole thing, yes, Netflix, when it goes to doom, I love it. I was like, right, okay. And I like, I said, is it the stem? Yeah, it's the stem, right? Okay, so you like holding a stem sitting down on your sofa. So we can still keep all of that, but instead of the Bombay you're having now or Gordon's or whatever, just have the alcohol-free alternative. And she sent me a selfie just like, I can't believe it. Uh, how, how has this happened so quickly? Well, it's just a different liquid in the glass. It still tastes the same. There's literally no difference, apart from you won't feel like shit the next morning. 
So it, once you can break down which specific part of the habit it is that you enjoy the most, it's like anything. If you um, eat a whole bag of family sensation crisps, the, the first one tastes way better than the 50th one, but it's the repetition of the scooping into the hummus all into the dip and the crunch. So over time, you can replace the crunch with carrot sticks and hummus for argument's sake. But when I say things like that, people look at me like I'm stupid, but um, the, the, that is what can happen over time. That's the habit hack. So um, I'm not saying you can't ever have crisps. I have crisps and chocolate and all the other good stuff too, but it's the, the unpacking it. If you're doing too much of it every single day, that, that, that's very different. So you might start at beer and then you go to alcohol-free beer. Then you go down to Diet Coke. Then you go down to sparkling water with fresh fruit in it. Then you go down to sparkling water because it might be the cold, the fizz, the refreshment of that that you like more than anything else. So, yeah, that's how the model works. But most people think you're an idiot when you talk about it because they don't understand. Yeah, it. but it's just it's it's just true. It's true. We've got to deprogram the um, the bugs in the system, like because we have been hacked. We've been hacked by marketing and we've been hacked by advertisements and the advertisements are telling us to treat ourselves all the time and enjoy a beer and enjoy crisps and enjoy chocolate. And it's like, yeah, of course, we enjoy those things occasionally, but I know when the the time and the place is right and try and show a little bit of willpower in not going overboard. I find it really difficult though, especially with food, with crunchy food. Like as soon as you said Walker sensations, like I'm start salivating yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's things like that. Like I love crunchy things and I think it's like the texture or something. It's a bit weird. I don't know, but I love crisps and I love cookies and I love granola. And like so often, like that's what I start craving at the weekend. But I realize mm. you, just more and more you take a step back and it's that awareness, isn't it? Like, why am I craving mm. this? Do I actually need it? What did I feel like an hour after I had that whole bag of crisps um, the last time I did it? And I remember I didn't feel great. I felt sick. I felt really low. Mm. So maybe mm. I can just not have that happen this time <laughs> and not for something else. Mm. Some carrot sticks. <laughs> Definitely get some eye rolls now, aren't we? But um, yeah, <laughs> also, like you talked about, though, it's the ritual. It's the same with smoking, isn't it? It's a ritual, getting it out, lighting it. Mm. And then the social aspect of it, like, is it the cigarette you enjoy or is it the fact that you have a little break from like the club and the music and you just have like that one-to-one really deep chat with someone? So it wasn't the smoking, it was the, it was maybe the connection that you felt. And of course, maybe a bit of the, um, the nicotine, nicotine and things like giving you a bit of a buzz. Yeah, of course. So it's, it's hard, isn't it? But like you said, it's, it's about rituals. And if we can replace the rituals, like you said, that, and not serving us with new rituals that do serve us much better, then who knows how much how good we could feel, how much more vibrant, how much more energetic, how much more present, how much more connected, how much more love we could give out into the world because we just made that little switch. Yeah, it's getting less and less cool to not give a shit about your health. Yes, yeah. You know, I saw a post on LinkedIn the other week and I couldn't believe it, it was like this woman that said, let's normalize the following. Let's normalize scrolling on your phone for 30 minutes when you first wake up. Let's normalize four, uh, four biscuits with a brew in bed um, before your first call. Let's normalize, you know, uh, getting online one minute before the call's due to start after you've just woken up. Let's normalize Netflix binges. I thought, well, why don't we just normalize depression, anxiety, obesity, and alcoholism then? So that's absolutely ludicrous. Yes. Why has it become so acceptable to not give a shit about your health? 
Because scrolling first thing is going to invite in so many micro stresses and so much anxiety about the news or Instagram or Facebook, eating four sugary biscuits before you've even left your bed. Um, it, you sh your blood sugar levels are going to spike like you wouldn't believe. You know, having that fourth coffee of the day, yeah, good luck with that. Your energy level is going to be terrible and your sleep's going to be even worse. And then you're wondering why you're so stressed and why you're snapping at your children, for example. It's because you're depriving yourself of the basic requirements of what it is to be an adult. So the thing with the smoking, I helped someone stop smoking by asking him uh, one question. Um, I said, um, it helps me relax. I said, um, are you sure it's not the big deep breaths you take in between each cigarette? Mm. Like, oh my God. So no wonder you feel relaxed. 15 times you're going. <sighs> it's like, you're joking. It's like, it does feel, oh my God. So yeah, because I hate the smell. I hate the taste. It's the getting outside in fresh air and deep <laughs> breathing. Like, are, you, are you joking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the irony, right? Um, but I, like, I was like, no, mate, that's probably what it is. Mm. Um, and okay, yeah, as you've alluded to there, the nicotine is probably the, just as addictive, of course. Uh, I understand that. But for him, it wasn't like he was doing 60 a day. Is doing like a pack of 10 now and again or six or seven at work, whatever. But so yeah, it's probably to, to the fact that you're getting outside and breathing. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. So yeah, once you can understand that, because again, when people take a sip of a beer and go, ah, that's better. That's a story you're telling yourself. That's placebo. The brain is not understanding what's happening. And it, realistically, it's the attachment of the dopamine. It's not the actual alcohol that's helping because it takes around four and a half to five minutes for your brain to register. It's had a, a drug or had alcohol. It's very different. But the feeling you attach to it is, ah, now I can de-stress. Yeah. And even then, it only lasts for about 45 minutes. So it, 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 again, you're lying to yourself. You're not stressed out, so you need a drink. You're stressed out because of the drink. Because one drink can ruin your um, REM cycle. So your rapid eye movement, your sleep is, is to shit because it sedates you. It knocks you out cold. It doesn't help you sleep at all. So then you wake up and you feel like because you've been sedated, you're like, oh my God, oh, what's going on? Then the kids come in and they start screaming. You're like, oh my God, will you shut up? And then you're on the way to work and someone cuts you up in the traffic and oh, and then you're stuck in traffic and then a client says something to you and the boss is up your ass because you've got this deadline that you haven't done. And Then you get home and the kids are screaming again, the dog's barking. No wonder you need a glass of wine in your mind. But then it starts all over again. So that's the difficulty. And again, not downplaying the stresses people go through and that ch the children are challenging, but it goes back to my analogy about the swimming all over again. Swimming 200 lengths is hard. Doing it with a 50 kilo backpack is even more difficult. So it's no different when it comes to uh, parenting, running a business, getting fit and healthy, sleeping. Alcohol is the gateway to all things that are misery in my mind. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, life is not going to stop throwing challenging situations at us, but we can... We can choose our habits and our rituals that can serve us much better so that we can move through those tricky situations in a better frame of mind and just deal with them better, for sure.
for sure. Mm. Right. Um, Adam, man, like, thank you so much for, for being so open at the start of this conversation, um, for offering like advice, questions, self-reflections, protocols, and like frameworks to, to think about. And also I just, I like the way, you know, we talk about caveats and stuff, but I do like the way the, you know, you're, you're understanding the, the pressures that people have and the, the backgrounds and the families and the jobs and the expectations. Like, it's very clear that you understand that and you want to help people work through it, but then also a bit of a no-nonsense approach, like, come on, like, <laughs> it's on you. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? We, we, I think we're just so quick to outsource responsibility to other people. It's their fault. It's that person's fault. It's this company's. It's the government's fault. And yes, there's got to be balance, but there's definitely got to be an element of like, I need to get mine together and what am I going to do about it? And sometimes just listening to a conversation, listen, yeah, listening to someone speak and it might just be that little um, that catalyst for change. So I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So I ask three questions to every guest and they can be quite quick fire. Um, okay. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, bring it so on. So first one is which lesson do you wish you'd have been taught when you were a child? Um, not everything is your fault, but it is your responsibility to fix it. What's one habit that you've maybe introduced to your life um, that's made a really big difference to your health and happiness? This is going to sound really silly uh, to a lot of people and very obvious, but you'd be shocked at how many people don't do it. Drink more water. Mm. It, it just changes so much. Again, if you if you Google the benefits of simply drinking more water, you'd be shocked. Again, skin quality, sleep, um, digestion, energy. Um, I could, I'm not going to bore you, but uh, yeah. Just drink more water. It sounds ridiculous, but that can be the catalyst for a lot of people to get more energy and then they're exercising more and then they're eating healthier. Da, 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 da. So, yeah, and obviously remove the booze. <laughs> and last one, if you could give everyone in the world just one book, which book would you give them? Ooh. <laughs> oh, God, that is so tough. Uh, not because I've read a million books, because I haven't, but um, I, I tend to read like, um, I've read probably about 50 uh, maybe 60 in the last two or three years. Um, but I listen to audiobooks personally oh. rather than reading them, but uh, it's just a help, more helpful way to consume content for me. But I would say, ooh, Unleash the Power Within by Tony Robbins and listen to it on Audible rather than reading it because it's, it's him at a live seminar. So it's different. It's not like a typical... Um, you know, someone narrating it yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It's it's literally him at a live event speaking for like the six and a bit hours that it is. So if if people listen to that and actually applied most of what he says, I can almost guarantee you you'll change your life. Nice one. Right, and, and last thing, where can people connect with you? Like, how can people find out more about the work that you do and and perhaps message you? Yeah, the problem is my name is very generic, Adam <laughs> Smith. So um, all the best finding that. But I think, um, yeah, if you type in Adam Smith alcohol free on LinkedIn, it'll probably come up. Um, A Game on TikTok, uh, A Game Consultancy on Instagram. Our website is www.agameconsultancy.com. There's a lot of information on there. Um, 
and yeah, probably uh, probably those. But TikTok and uh, LinkedIn are where I'm most active. So I'd probably say uh, those two. Cool. Right. Thanks again. Um, an, another awesome. episode Thanks, that man. I'm really I'm really happy to be putting out into the world, and especially this side of Christmas. And yeah, listeners, like, let us know your thoughts. Let us know if it's helped. Any questions, whatever it is. Um, yeah, both Adam and I will be really really keen to hear from you. Good man. Thanks, mate. thank you for tuning in I really hope you found my conversation with Adam insightful if this episode did resonate with you and you found it useful please do let us know and share it with friends family and colleagues who you think would also find it helpful you can also support me and the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on thank you again and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon